You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning and welcome to everybody on this Sunday morning. I hope you, uh, let's put it this way. If you're here listening to me, then you remember to change your clocks. Um, and it's pretty hard not to remember anymore because, you know, some of us have those clocks that, that sort of act on their own and they get that signal from the satellite. And whether you wanted to change it or not, it was changed. And if you set an alarm on a Sunday morning, then uh, you just lost an hour of sleep. You know, we have some still old-fashioned clocks around the house, so we have to kind of do it that way and make the changes. But typically, it's done for you. Anyway, thanks for being here. I'm your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's only live call-in radio show, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Werber. And um, again here, thanks to our sponsors, Save This Life Microchip and, and the Elenco Lily, makers of Comfortis and Trifexes, ProSense Pet Products, and of course, Kong Veterinary Products, KVP, makers of a lot of phenomenal, I hate to use the word toys because they're so therapeutic and they have such a place in uh, veterinary medicine, helping pets uh, with their teeth, helping pets stay away from themselves with their special collars, etc., but uh, I'm here because they're here for you. You know, before we um, get moving, there was, uh, you know, I like to sort of peruse the news. And there were a couple of stories that I thought were really cool. One, and any of us that have grown up with dogs, myself certainly included, we kind of appreciate the fact that dog is man's best friend. Okay. So, Ajit, there's a, a project going on. And its theory is to determine how dog became man's best friend. There's an evolutionary biologist. His name is Gregor Larson, and he's a, it's a global effort to determine when and where dogs became domesticated and how did ancient humans like tame wolves or did wolves domesticate themselves? I mean, how do we get to this point? And uh, so they're taking like thousands of samples from DNA, fossils, et cetera, going into a database and to find out how this all happened. I mean, I have my own theory. I, I think you know, we may have talked about this before, but you, you think about it. If you go back years and years and thousands of them, Dogs, they weren't sleeping on our beds, right? What were dogs used for? Dogs were working animals. They were just on the farms, on the ranches, in the caves. They were working. They were hunting. They were pulling. They were just herding all the things that they naturally do. So there was no attachment. There was no emotional attachment that we had. So picture this. and Obviously, this is such an oversimplification, but think about it. So there's these two farmers, I mean, zillions of years ago, whatever. And they're sitting on their front porch after a long day, and they're just chilling. And, and one of their dogs, probably an Australian shepherd or a border collie, one of those kinds, just kind of walks up to them and sits down next to him and nudges his face, his, his head, under the guy's hand to be petted. And the guy says to his buddy, hey, look at this. This is weird. Look what this, guy's do- this dog is doing. So every day this dog would kind of cuddle up next to him when they're sitting at the end of the workday. Instead of going into the corral or, or chilling out in the barn or wherever they would chill out. And he was looking for affection. So this guy thought, wow, this is really cool. So then what happens? It's time to breed. Now they have to pick their dogs, right? And they're probably, normally we used to pick them on based on how their performance was as a working dog. But now that farmer or that rancher says, you know what? That's kind of cool what that dog was doing. I'm going to pick that one. And starts breeding that trait, that accidental whatever trait into the other dogs. And before you know it, that keeps going, keeps going. And we've created dogs that actually love our interaction 
just as much as we love their interaction. And I think that's it's got to be something like that that started. Why? How did we go from a, a wild wolf to a dog, the different breeds, et cetera, and in a way that their personalities come out? In a way that, that that's when we talk about the bond we have with our pets, we're not talking about the bond we have with that wild animal. You can't. But we're talking about a bond because of that, the affection, the attraction, the cuddling, the thriving on attention. As we know, it goes both ways. So, uh, but it'll be interesting to follow this project to see what this guy, this researcher finds out and how did it happen anyway. In fact, it's so funny. I read this in, in one of the websites I subscribe to. It's by the American Veterinary Medical Association. It's called the Animal Health Smart Brief. And we're just some guy just, we talked about this two days ago. He says, how do we get from a wolf down to our dog? And how do we get from a wolf? You know, all wolves look kind of the same. If you ask any wolf expert, you could show him a picture of a canine, right? And he'll say, oh, that's a, that's a wolf or that's a hybrid because it's got a wolf in it. And yet from that, we have our several hundred breeds that look so different and so unique. Interesting to see what kind of, how that all happened. How, how did it come about? I think that's pretty cool. And here's one that I thought many of you cat lovers would love. And that is, it's entitled, Cats Are More Like People Than Some May Think. What they did was they studied over 3,000 cats for personality assessments. And they have five primary personality traits. Skittishness, outgoingness, all my five learned that one pretty well. Dominance, spontaneity, and friendliness. And again, my five learned that pretty well too. Because as I often joke, my cats read the dog book by mistake. Anyone, whoever says to me, oh, no, no, cats are not friendly. They're, they want to isolate themselves. They don't. I said, no, 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 no. You come to my house. You sit there for 10 minutes and you will see what cats can be really like. So the traits, interestingly, skittishness, outgoingness, dominance, friendliness, and spontaneity, these traits correlate to human personality traits as well. That's sort of the neuroticisms akin to skittishness, extroversion, which is like outgoingness, agreeability, which is like friendliness. So what they're doing is this is an ongoing study. And, um, I think that's pretty good because if you think, basically what it's saying, everybody, that if you think cats are antisocial, unfriendly, and, and want to be by themselves, then look in the mirror because this study is showing us that, you know something, that's us as well. So some food for thought, some things I want you to ponder for a little bit. So anyway, some other things that I wanted to go over, and this is also pretty interesting, that I had a case this week. Someone, I haven't even seen the case yet. I'm going to see it tomorrow. And one of the rescue groups that I work with, one of the volunteers who I know very well, I actually take care of her pets personally, she sends me a picture of a pug. She does a lot of pug rescue. And on the pug, she shows me a picture of a growth. It looks like a wart. I mean, let's face it, nothing fancy. It's a wart. She says they want to take it to this hospital, which is like a large, very large specialty clinic here in town. And she said they're going there for second opinion to have it evaluated. And I just about freaked when I read that. And everybody out there, this is the problem. This is the problem that's happening today in veterinary medicine. So listen up. And if things that I say here kind of remind you of things that your veterinarian would direct you to do, then I don't even know your vet. So I'm not going to say anything individually, but globally, look for a new vet. So it's one thing to make things that are very challenging and try to make them easy taking shortcuts, et cetera, that could be dangerous. But to take something very easy and to complicate it, that's digging into your wallets and pocketbooks, not very nice. So I wrote back, I said, second opinion. I mean, what is so hard about this? This is a wart. This is a little teeny wart 
I'm not teeny, teeny, but small. And I realized that I get these all the time. And the magic of practical medicine has been lost because of many factors. I don't want to go into the philosophies, but I would certainly love to, if you want to get a hold of me and do so, just give us a call at 877-385-8882, and we can talk about specifics about this. Also, by the way, you can go on to the, our Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff Page here on Pet Life Radio. Go down, scroll down, and our wonderful producer, Mark Winter, has sent you a link to our Google Hangouts. And you can join me live right now here as we speak. We get a little box right next to mine. We can see each other. You can even show me lumps and bumps on your pet, and uh, we can talk about it. But to go into the lumps and bumps thing, there are, again, as you know, I'm a big, a big fan of the KISS rule, keep it simple, stupid. And the question, the saying of that, if you're running along the beach in Malibu, California, and you hear hoofbeats chasing you from behind, what are you thinking, horses or zebras? So hopefully you're screaming out the answer, horses. So doctor, I like to say to these veterinarians, why are you looking for zebras? You haven't ruled out the common ones. So let's talk about the most common on top of skin lesions that you're going to find on your dogs and cats, the most common. You got skin tags. They're little flaps. Little. They look like a tag. You can almost pull it. It looks like a tick that's attached. It's real floppy, and it's attached by a really thin stalk. You can have a wen, which is a little raised area. You can have warts, which are really common. If you have a very young dog, you can see what's called a histiocytoma. Histiocytoma is a very, it's round. It's raised. It sometimes looks almost ulcerated, like extremely pinkish. And if on a very small dog young dog, I should say, then there's a very strong likelihood that it's going to go away by itself because many, many histocytomas resolve on their own. So that's one thing. So the next thing is the, um, oh, there's a, my phone going. So hold on. I'm going to just shut my phone off so we don't get disturbed. So anyway, and histocytomas often resolve on their own. So notice the winds, the histocytomas, the warts, so far, all benign. Now, let's talk about another benign one. It's really not on top of the skin. It's almost like the wind. It's a little raised area. It's often round, and it has a different feel to it. It could be what's called a cyst, a sebaceous cyst. And with the sebaceous cyst, and it's very easy to tell whether it's a sebaceous cyst, all the veterinarian has to do is stick a little needle into it and give it a little gentle squeeze. And if, in fact, this disgusting, yucky stuff comes out, it's a cyst. Okay, so that's pretty much the main ones that we're going to see that are benign. I'll get to that in a minute, why that's so important. Then there's one mostly, mostly middle-aged, though I've seen them in dogs as young as three or four, including two of my own dogs, one at three, one at four years of age. But mostly it's going to be middle-aged to older, and it is a growth. It's going to, unlike the others, and we'll get to that in a minute, it is called a mast cell, and mast cell tumors are ones that we do need to be concerned about. So, and one of the issues that when it comes to the others, and there's one more that, again, it's underneath the skin, but pretty easy to feel and very easy to diagnose, and that is called a lipoma, which is a fatty tumor. There, when you stick the needle in and you try to, um, nothing comes out, but you could feel it. It's got a, a unique feel. I would be very, very nervous if a veterinarian feels a lipoma and doesn't say, oh, this feels like a lipoma, as opposed to a cyst. And then instead of trying to stick a needle in and squeeze, because nothing's going to come out, but you can draw cells, and you put the cells on a slide, you look under the microscope, and sure enough, it's all fat. That's a lipoma. 
So the lipomas, the wens, the skin tags, the, the warts, the cysts, all benign. Then you have the one that is not benign, and that's the mast cell. Mast cells will show up. They can sometimes grow a little faster than others. And my feeling is this, that if you have ones that are sure, for sure, one of the others, the warts, which are very easy to tell, in keeping with the KISS rule, I don't necessarily like to anesthetize a dog or a cat for one of those very benign masses unless it's causing a problem, unless the dog is scratching at it so it's bleeding or a lot, or they're uncomfortable because it's in a place where they lie down, it bothers them. Or if it's a cyst, it keeps rupturing on its own. Then what I do is, and I'll guarantee, knowing most of you and how infrequently you take care of your pet's teeth, i.e. brush them, you lift the lips, you lift the gums, and you see the plaque and the tartar and the gingivitis, and you say, you know what, Mrs. Smith, we really need to do these teeth. So what we're going to do is when we have Bowser sedated, anesthetized, whatever, for the teeth, we're going to go ahead and take these masses growths off as well. And the only one that's going to be a little treated a little bit differently, and that's going to be the uh, mast cell, which we're going to get to in just a second after the break. Don't go away. Now, this is good stuff. This is stuff that you're going to use to actually rate your own veterinarian. So stay tuned. Uh, stay with us after the short break. We'll be back, and we're going to talk about mast cell disease as well. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin, skin infections like hot spots and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. You love your dog. And getting kisses from them. But their breath can be downright stanky. Knock out their smelly breath with Stank Be Gone. Stank Be Gone is made with natural ingredients to eliminate their bad breath while helping to reduce plaque and tartar. Just add a capful to your dog's drinking water. Stank Be Gone is only $19.95. Use promo code STANK to receive a second bottle for just $5. Go to stankbegone.com today. That's stankbegone.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. Thanks for joining us here, here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Werber. If you missed the first part of the show, we've been talking about lumps and bumps and things like that and how I think that there's overkill. And it all started when I got a picture of this clearly a wart on a dog. And this lady wanted to 
go in to a specialist, a specialty group for a second opinion. And it just blew my mind because I'm already picturing you take this poor dog to a specialty group for a second opinion on a wart and you're looking at clearly over $1,000. And that is a major concern to me because my favorite rule, the KISS rule says, what? You don't need a second opinion on a wart. The only opinion you need to do is you. Do you want to take it off now by itself or do you want to wait until we need to do our next dentistry and take it off later? And I would ask a bunch of questions like, where is it? Is it when you brush the dog or comb the dog? Is it getting in the way and are you causing it to bleed? Is the dog scratching it, causing it to bleed? Is he rub it lying down on it and it's causing a discomfort? Therefore, take it out now. If it's something good, wait. Wait until the next time we do a dental and we'll take it off then. Very easy. No second opinions. No biopsies. A wart is a wart is a wart. And I'd be very suspect of a veterinarian who can't look at it and say, oh, this is just a wart. Now, histiocytomas usually happen in very young dogs. So again, benign, often go away on their own. And typically, if there's any doubt, if there's any doubt, then you could just take a wide margin. We'll talk about that in a minute with mast cells. And where we left before the break, we were talking about mast cells. Now, mast cells are a little bit different because some of them could just look pretty ugly. I mean, you can almost notice right away it's a mast cell. Some of them could almost look like a histiocytoma. They could be very small, round, raised, a little ulcerated on the top. So it's got a very bright pinkish kind of look to it. And those are ones that we have to be a little bit more concerned about. So do I feel this? Do we want it there or not? Yes or no? The answer is no. So to do a cytology, which is where you stick a needle in and send it to the lab first, in my mind, is insane. Unless, of course, it's in an area where you don't have a lot of skin to close up the defect you create by removing it. In which case, it would be it might be good to know first because most mast cells are going to be what we call grade one or grade two. Treatment of choice for grade one or grade two, by the way, there are only three grades at the petneic system. So it's grade one, two, or three. The treatment of choice for one and two is remove it with good margins, clean margins, about two centimeters on each side. Folks, that's about an inch on each side, just a little less than an inch. So what you do is you, if it's depending on, it's on the trunk, somewhere in the body where you can have a lot of skin, I don't even waste my time doing a cytology. Why? Because you're going to want to biopsy it anyway. So if you do a cytology first and you see it's a mast cell, okay, you still want to send it off to make sure you got clean margins. So that means you're being charged, you, the client's being charged for a cytology. And then on top of that, after it's removed, you're going to have to pay for a biopsy. Well, folks, if you want to waste your money, that's a good way to go. If you suspect mast cell, because and why do I say suspect mast cell? Because you can pretty much tell it's none of the others we just talked about. Clearly not a wart, not a win, not a skin tag, not a cyst, not a lipoma. Maybe if it's a very young dog, you might want to put histiocytoma on that list. They're both round cell tumors. So they could look similar, but there you use the age because uh, the six-year-old dog is probably not going to get a histiocytoma. So I would treat it as a mast cell. If it's a two-year-old, a three-year-old dog, two-year-old, you're probably not going to be a mast cell. So it's probably histiocytoma. For that one, wait two weeks. If it starts to resolve on its own, then you know it wasn't a mast cell. So what the key, what I recommend is very simple. If it's in an area where you can actually get clean margins, just take it off, get the clean margins, and then go ahead and have it biopsied. The reason for the biopsy is sometimes less for the identification purposes because in-house, the veterinarian can do, uh, it's an impression smear of the removed mass, and you see the mast cells, you know it's a mast cell tumor. Uh, that's a no-brainer. But you want to know if you got clean margins. That has to be done by a, a pathologist. So if the margins are clean, you're pretty much good to go if it's a grade one or a grade two. I would just say, keep an eye on it, watch it. I am not an advocate of going overboard 
with grade one and grade two mast cells by radiation and all these unnecessary as long as you got clean margins. The recommendation typically is watch it. Grade three, on the other hand, different story because grade threes can actually have some genetic properties that could actually cause some spread. It can be much more dangerous and probably would on a grade three, even though the margins were clean. If it comes back grade three to talk to your veterinarian, talk to a veterinary oncologist and consider some more radical post-operative treatment, such as some chemo maybe. There's some really good drugs for mast cell. Radiation works really well. See if we can stop the mast cell. I had a dog with a grade three four years ago, and we beat this thing. This dog has been fine ever since, and it can be done. And sadly, very sadly, I had one French bulldog, one of my favorites, and this dog had a mast on its back end just below the anal area. And the owner just thought it was a cyst because someone told her it was a cyst. Not to worry. Next time she would go in, but it kept getting bigger and bigger. She finally sent me a picture. I said, OMG, this is not a cyst. Get it in immediately. Went in, removed it. Sure enough, came back. Grade three mast cell. A month later, the dog is having difficulty defecating. And we did a rectal and the lymph nodes inside were huge. Putting pressure on the colon, this poor dog. It was a disaster. Grade three mast cells need to be treated more aggressively like any tumor, quote unquote, that needs to be treated. Whereas grade one and grade two, treatment of choice is just to remove it. But my feeling is this. If you, 90% of the dogs that I see on a daily basis that are old enough to get a mast cell are also old enough to have their teeth clean. So I'm going to take this thing off anyway. If it's suspicious, all I need is suspicion. Folks, let me explain something. That how much longer... So now we're talking about getting wide margins. So I ask, how much longer does a six-inch incision take to heal over a two-inch incision? And the answer, the same, because the heel's side to side. Oh, you'll have a longer scar, more stitches, but what's the big deal, right? The hair's going to grow back. It's going to cover the scar most likely anyway. If it's on the belly, who cares? If you're really so nervous about the next time you take that holiday picture for your Christmas card, go ahead and you can cover it up somehow. But there's no downside to being safe. But having said that, there's also, it's absurd to start getting second opinions and doing cytologies and even biopsies after removal of any of the others. And lipomas are benign. So I usually will take it off when I have a good excuse to anesthetize the dog. And if it's an area where it's very deep to the muscle and you don't want to start cutting through muscle and it hasn't changed in three years, leave it the heck alone. My old Labrador, soon to be 15, amazing. He's got, oh my God, Labradors are known for lipomas. He's got a bunch of lipomas on his belly. And guess what? I don't care. Doesn't bother him. Doesn't bother me. Cysts. If you drain the cyst, you can do that a zillion times unless you disrupt the actual wall the cells creating the cystic material, it's going to come back. But it's benign. So again, no big deal. Next time there's a reason to anesthetize, then you can actually exercise, remove the cyst. The only one that uh, cystocytomas, histiocytomas, wait it out, chance are it's going to go away on its own. So once again, if you have any questions, we have a bunch of emails we're going to get to next week. I'm going to start next week's show with some emails, so hang in there. But if you have any questions, please send me an email to drjeff at petliferadio.com. We'll get back to you. We'll talk about it on air. And we'd love to have you join us on Google Hangouts here every Sunday morning. And we can talk about your questions. And if you have a, uh, something you want to show me, now that's the great thing about Google Hangouts. You can just put your dog up to the computer or your phone and show me what you're looking at. 
Once again, thanks for our sponsors, Kong Veterinary Products, ProSense, Elanco Lily Makers, Confortis, and Trifexis, and Save This Life Microchip. Have a great week, everybody. If you haven't changed your clocks, do it now, or you're going to have a terrible day today. Uh, And we'll see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.